right, welcome back to another episode of the Med Mentor Podcast, where we aspire you all, the listeners, to pursue careers in medicine by highlighting the examples of outstanding physicians of color. My name is Justin Oliveira. I'm a medical student, second year at Einstein, and I have with me today Dr. Fenwa Milhouse. <laughs> Dr. Milhouse, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Justin? I've got absolutely no complaints. I'm tired, but you know, it comes with the territory. <laughs> I stay chronically tired. Like, I don't know what it is to not be tired. <laughs> so, very good. You just very have good, to embrace it. You have to embrace yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So by way of introduction, Dr. Milhouse is a board certified fellowship trained urologist and specialist in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery, also known as urogynecology. Originally born in Nigeria, her family immigrated to the U.S. when she was a young child. She grew up in Texas and ended up at the University of Texas at Houston for medical school. It was there that she discovered urology for the first time and found her niche. She trained at the University of Chicago for urology residency, and thereafter she completed her fellowship in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. She currently works in Chicagoland as a pelvic floor surgeon and sexual medicine specialist. She was recently appointed to the board of the Chicago Urological Society. She's a wife and mother of three, She's passionate about introducing the public to the world of urology, and she uses social media to destigmatize pelvic floor and sexual conditions, as well as demonstrate the importance of representation in urology. Dr. Milhouse, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be on this show. I love talking to um, medical students, trainees, college students, interested students. I love talking about what I do because I love what I do. Awesome. So. Awesome. And um, as we mentioned before we started recording, uh, you are the first woman in surgery to have on the show. So, I mean, on one hand, it sucks that there are not more of you and it sucks that it's hard to find that representation. But on the other hand, I'm really excited to feature you, to share your story. I'm sure that there's going to be a ton of people listening that are super inspired by it. That's great. I mean, it's kind of great to be the first, but yeah, it kind of sucks that it's yeah. the first. <laughs> it's a stat oh, we need to change. 100%. 100%. <laughs> So with that being said, let's get right into it. How did that introduction sound? Did I miss anything? Did I leave anything out? Do you want to change anything? No, you captured it succinctly. Uh, great introduction. Definitely describes what I do and kind of a little bit what I do outside of work. So for sure. Okay, so let's go all the way back to the beginning. Talk about your life growing up. What was your neighborhood like? What was your home environment? I know we touched on it a little bit in the intro, but I want to give you the opportunity to really tell your story. So I'm an immigrant. I was originally born in Lagos, Nigeria, um, and my family immigrated here when I was very young, um, two, three years old. And so my memories, my first memories are of growing up actually in Colorado. That's where my dad was um, able to get his uh, visa because he got a scholarship to get his PhD at Colorado School of Mines. Um, and became a um, doctor in geological sciences. Um, so I had a nerdy, sciencey dad, um, and my mom is a what was then a nurse. She is retired now. Um, so I had you know the science, and I had the you know health care um, uh, in both of my parents. Mm -hmm. And so if. <laughs> If anybody knows Nigerians or is Nigerian, um, they know that, you know, there's only few options your parents give you right. <laughs> growing up. <laughs> uh, doctor, lawyer, engineer, those are it, right. especially when you were growing up in the kind of 80s or 90s as I grew up. Uh, now they might expand it. They they may expand a few more options now, but um, those were the options. And I always kind of, I was one of those kind of, you know, uh, usual kids that, you know, I wanted to do something to help people. I knew I wanted to do something with people. I was um, shy, but I liked people as a kid. Um, and I wanted to do something along those lines. My dad kind of, he, he was very scientific, but didn't deal with people. He dealt with like the earth and rocks yeah. and oil. And I was I found that <laughs> terribly boring. <laughs> He loved it. I mean, he loves it. He could talk about it like for hours. Right. Um, but I found that terribly boring. And I was like, I want to be an expert of people, not of rocks right. and 
not like that. Sure. Um, so, um, yeah, I was very involved growing up in, you know, some sports, um, in lots of different things, you know, extracurricular. I kind of developed a model by the time I graduated high school, I, I developed a model of work hard, play hard. You know, I am um, very social person. And so I would, you know, I'd study hard and then I'd go out. <laughs> and I, that was kind of like my college experience was, I went to University of Texas, Austin, hook em horns. <laughs> and um, I was- pause, there. Pause, pause. We're getting yeah. too far ahead. We're getting too far oh, ahead. Oh, sorry. Okay. That's got great. It. That's great. So- Still going back to early, what was your experience like Nigerian American in Colorado? Was it diverse? Were you one of a few? Oh. Were you the only one? Yeah. So, oh gosh, we're talking. These are the. This is the eighties. Yeah. Well, I'm imagining Colorado now, and I don't. Think this yeah, and this was. Good. Yeah, it's it's very uh, white, yeah. very friendly. Yeah, white people were friendly. Um, we were definitely, uh, you know, token in not only black but african and i don't really remember a lot of black people in general there was one other black family that we kind of uh lived close by and were kind of friendly with they were um african immigrants too i can't remember they weren't from nigeria um but yeah and we went to and at this point my parents put us in these like small private schools mm -hmm. So it's Colorado, it's Golden, Colorado. It's not even like Denver or whatever. Yeah. I don't know, big city, but is Colorado, is the 80s, is private school. Yeah. So it was real homogeneous. Yeah. Um I my parents tell me a story. I don't remember this, but my mom says this. Mm -hmm. That one day I was, my dad picked me up. I think I might've been five. Mm -hmm. My dad picked me up from school and my friend who was my friend at the time at school said, your dad's a nigger. <laughs> and I'm, my mom tells me I called her a nigger back. Like I like said, no, you're a nigger. Like that was my like re retort. Uh, but I didn't know. Y'all can't it. see me right now. My jaw's on the floor. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it, is, it is, it is, yes. What in the world? Yeah, so this little girl was my friend. Like she was like, oh, she recognized. I guess I don't know. I guess I wasn't a nigger to her, but my my dad, who's a man, who's an adult man, she was like, oh, your dad. I, she was like, your dad's a nigger. I didn't know. Like, well, um, yeah. So anyway, I don't remember this. My mom tells me this story crystal clear. I'm proud of myself for the retort though. I'm like, <laughs> old me. So, so like, was that, was that a one-off or was that your experience kind of, as you got older, kind of like middle school, high school? So, in, I mean, that wasn't, that probably was the most blatant, um, th that there's only a few like super blatant, like, uh, uh, forms of you know just in your face just my, you know racism that yeah. I can recall yeah. that was again one of them I recall through my mom um in fifth grade there was a classmate who called me the n-word and it was a big deal the dare officer had to get him not the dare <laughs> officer the dare officer yeah <laughs> the dare officer had to get involved y'all and they had to do the, you know, they, you know, had a talking separately with him, one with me, and then they talked to the class. I do remember the one good thing I remember about that episode is my classmates had my back. Like everybody was like, oh, this is wrong. That's so good. Like, you know, so, and I was in that class, the only black person in that class. So um, they did, you know, they did have my back in that episode. Um yeah, and there was a lot. I mean, I'm God, so probably a tons of um, more insidious things that I right. don't even can't even recall like details because they kind of you kind of get used, you get you know numb to them. Used, to, I don't know. Um, I I was also here's the other factor. Uh, growing up Nigerian or African at this time. It was not, this might spawn a whole discussion, but another episode. I was not well-received by Black Americans either. 
you see what I'm saying? Like at that time, black people, black Americans really tried to separate themselves from Africans. Um, and so I didn't feel like I was welcomed with black uh, Americans. Um, and I actually felt like more welcomed with the white folks, you yeah. know, in the early, in the early part of my, um, education for sure. It kind of slowly got better a little bit, like going past into junior high and a little bit in high school, but it still didn't really, I still was kind of on the outskirts. I, you know, I remember, feeling like an Oreo, especially because I made good grades and I didn't, I talked, you know, talked white, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Nothing, nothing that is not inherently, like, like it's things that automatically are associated. You can't be black. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. I remember feeling that significantly wanting to be, I didn't like, I, I, I remember being on the bus with, you know, a bunch of my, you know, friends, they were all white and they were talking about how I was, oh, but you're different than the, different. Than the other blacks. And I did, I was you're like, this different. is, and they thought they were doing me a favor. They thought they were pumping me up and hyping me up. And I'm, I'm feeling sick. Like, I don't like this. I don't, I didn't know how, what to respond. I, I was pretty quiet, but I just remember not, I was like, I don't like this. Like, this is not what I want to hear. This is not a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, but thankfully I will say uh, the way things are now is better and different is it is, it's so much better. I'm, you know, fortunate to have two bonus children through marriage and I got to see them kind of grow up as um, late, you know, elementary all the way. They're now college kids. And it's so different because they're, they're, they have, you know, they're black American as they were growing up fun to hear them embrace, like embrace my culture art, you know, their culture and, you know, right. be proud of that. And then I, I, you just see the difference. So things are different. Thank you. Jesus. Um, <laughs> For sure. Now is better. Yeah. And then before we talk about like getting into medicine, when you decided that you were going to pursue it and kind of vocalized it to your peers, you know, people at school, what was the reaction? Did you feel like you were supported in that? Do you feel like there were people that talked to you out of it, talked down to you? So I, you know, in medical, in high school, I didn't really, I didn't know a hundred percent that I was going to be a doctor. I mean, I, that was top on the list, but I was thinking, oh, it could be dentist, could be psychologist. I remember, I remember thinking, oh, I want to be a psychologist. My dad was like, psychology, K. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I was like, I'm just gonna keep it on the list. I won't yeah. tell dad. I still, yeah. you know. So, um, and I was, I, 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 def, I, I was a, um, a good student. I was, you know, in honors classes. I graduated within in within the top 10%. So I don't think any, I didn't get any of that mm -hmm. that I can remember in high school. At the time in Texas, if you graduated top 10 within top 10%, you were automatically admitted to University of Texas, Austin, okay. which was, you know, my top choice in state. Sure. Um I wanted to go out of state, but my dad was like, nah, go get this in-state tuition looking real nice. And thank you, dad, for that excellent advice. Yeah. Excellent advice. He yeah. was like, this state in tuition was dirt cheap. Like if you, my tuition. So um, I was, I was, you know, got into University of Texas um, easily through that, you know, top 10% thing. And then um, in college, uh, I, I remember there was a lot of people when I first was like, oh, I think I'm going to be, you know, doctor. They were like, well, everybody comes in saying that right. they're going to go to medical school, but like more than half or, you know, very few actually end up like that at the end right. of the four years. And that was unfortunately true. Um, and I could see that there was a lot of like upperclassmen that I met. They're like, yeah, I started off pre-med, but nah, mm -mm, I had to change it to something else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I think it's because we just don't, we aren't like, we don't know. We're not prepared. We're not, you know, um, and, and it's actually think about it. Like 18, 19 is just so young to just already right. be 
building these things, but you kind of, you know, somewhat have to. Um, So, you know, I did learn from those examples and I was like, okay, I am going to work hard first and then play harder second. Right. Period. For sure. Yeah. Then can you talk a little bit? I mean, so you're at University of Texas. You decided to stay there for medical school. What were some kind of challenges that you had to overcome to get to medical school? So just so you know, I actually didn't stay there. So University of Texas, Austin is the undergrad. There's actually multiple University of Texas, by the way, but there's only one, the University of Texas. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of them are just, okay. Um, So anyway, uh, so that's where I went. And then the actual University of Texas medical school that I went to was in Houston. So they weren't, it was not really affiliated. It's not affiliated with my undergrad. Okay. Um, So I, you know, I wasn't even in the same city, you know, Austin and Houston. So just a clarification. So um, what was your question now? (laughs) What what challenges did you have? You were so upset by by my- I was. (laughs) We had to to sit this straight. I didn't even hear the rest of the stuff, yeah. (laughs) So what challenges did you have to overcome to get to medical school? Okay, there you go. Okay, so- As broad or as specific as you want. Yeah. So, I mean, medical school is competitive. It's competitive now. It was competitive then. It's more competitive probably now. And um, I, during, I think the biggest challenge for me was when I pledged Delta Sigma Theta in college. Um, And I had to juggle, first of all, the, you know, um, pledging process. And then afterwards, I suddenly became super busy like tons and we were a very very active active chapter very active um and so i had to juggle all these newfound responsibilities and this a lot less time but then also still managed to be a really good student um i will tell you i sacrificed a lot of sleep um i was known to stay up late my line sisters and sorority sisters knew that i would stay up late i'd go to library i would just kind of hunker down yeah. kind of developed a like i'll sleep later model <laughs> um, and i don't i don't know how healthy it is uh so that was really really hard right um you know balancing that and i would tell anybody who was trying to do that, who's doing that, that they will probably need to advocate for themselves within whatever organization they are in, whether that's the a Greek letter or something else. Like, hey, I am trying to go to medical school. This is some different shit. I need to, <laughs> this GPA must be this way, okay? Like, you just have to know that this is not that, not that you can't do it if it's not that it's you know all or nothing but you really really want to be put your best be it the best you can be and really really have one less thing that that you have to like try to explain on the on the application okay so um yeah i did I that laughing, i was laughing so hard because you definitely hit home with that because yeah so i pledged alpha in undergrad oh, and yeah. You know, um, I was the line brother that like <laughs> I'm always in the library. I'm always studying or I'm at chapter stuff like there's no yeah. socializing is like once a month. <laughs> I'll, I'll see y'all when I see y'all <laughs> if it's studying or it's community yes. service or it's chapter meetings. Everything else. I got to go study. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't even I couldn't even do that. We had we were we threw parties. We did all this social stuff too. And oh, I, I, was, I was definitely at the parties. Okay. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I didn't miss a party now. <laughs> to be clear, okay. to be clear, to be clear, to be clear. Um, to be clear. I, I, think, oh, like, I think it's yeah, important yeah. To, to say that because like, I think early on when you're pre-med, unfortunately, I think that there's a level of like, maturity and time management that's expected of you in order for you to balance everything that not everybody has if they don't necessarily need to be getting ready for med school um right. so i really appreciate you. you but i'm sorry i interrupted you i don't know no that was a great interruption no i think that needs to be highlighted you need to advocate for yourself if you are pre-med and you know like okay it really you know the uh, these grades matter i don't want you to become 
so paranoid, um, you know, that you miss out on life. Like I didn't miss a party. All right. <laughs> I didn't miss a party. Um, but I do remember a couple of times coming back from the party. And study. <laughs> I definitely did that last night. I definitely did that last night. <laughs> I could never do that now. Like, I'm like, what world am I going to be in a mind frame to study? What? What? But when you're young, you could do that. Like, I would come back and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to study now for about, you know, an hour or something crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I did. I was that. I was that person. Um, I surrounded myself with people that were also like, you know, were um, high achievers. So that helped. Me and my roommate had a like contest, like who would get the higher GPA this semester? She was in the law, in the business school. I was in, you know, pre-med. So that was, that was, that was fun. And um, mm -hmm. I did not hang out with a lot of pre-meds. Oh, I yeah. did not join any pre-med yep. organizations yep. in undergrad. I purposefully dodged that it just raised my stress. It was anxiety provoking. Yep. I just, and I'm so glad at that age, I knew a little bit about myself to be like, uh, -uh I don't want to be like all of us together is we are not good. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Let me surround myself. So I surrounded myself with people who were high achieving, but not pre-meds. I agree with that. Yeah. I, agree with that. I think that there's a level of I think neuroticism and stress that you don't need in your life. <laughs> yes, and people get to being like braggadocious, like I did this and this, and this. I didn't want to hear it. I'm just going to do me. I'm going to do the best I can do. I'm going to get the advice. It's not that I didn't talk to people. I just didn't hang around all the pre-meds. Okay, what do I need? To, I would try to talk to people who were maybe already in medical school. What do I need? to? Okay, thank you. We'll get my little tidbits and and do what I do. So sure. all my extracurricular activities had nothing to do with, with, I did do one or two medicine things on my own, but not through any organization. For sure. Yeah. And then I know from just like looking on your platform on social media and then reading through the stuff on your website, you weren't interested in surgery because you didn't see yourself in surgery. So can you talk about when that change happened in med school, what that was like, what that experience was? Yeah. So like, it's crazy because if somebody would have told me when I first got into medical school, you're going to be a surgeon. What do you think about that? I would have been like, you are crazy. That <laughs> I don't see it at all. I don't, I don't have what it takes. I'm not like a surgeon personality. I'm maybe don't think I was smart enough. I'm not, I'm not skillful enough. All of these things, I, surgery was not ever on the list. So like, what were you ever. thinking as you were starting medical school? Like you knew you wanted to be a doctor. What yes. So one of the things, so um, I knew I didn't want to do kids. So I was, pediatrician was out. I was like, I don't want to do kids. I just, kids, I felt awkward around them. So no. Yes. Um, I thought about, for half a second, I thought about nephrology then I was like, no, but I ended up coming kind of not even urology is nothing like nephrology, but yeah. I guess I ended up in the same pseudo same area. Yeah. Uh, half a second. I thought about nephrology. I did consider dermatology in the beginning. I mean, it's very appealing. It's nice quality of life. It's, you know, better, higher paying, you know, so I liked that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I even did like, I even participated in some research in derm. And then I, then I actually shadowed a dermatologist and I was, and I love my dermatologist colleagues, you know, there's something for everybody. It wasn't for me. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, so this is what y'all actually do. Okay. Nope. Don't, I'm nope. not. Okay. <laughs> no. And that literally did it like that. Just, yeah. um, then there was neonatology. So I could do the, the, the babies, right. but not the, not the, um, pediatric, but then I realized I'd have to do peds to do neonatology. I was like, well, no, yeah. no. Uh, and then OB-GYN, I mean, OB-GYN probably was always that underlying specialty that was calling my name. Yep. Um, but I was trying to embrace other things, you know, um, along the way. And, you know, it's like, but I like women's, I like women's health and, 
you know, that sort of stuff. Um, so you see urology, you decide this is for you. And then what? I met a woman, black woman in urology, and that literally changed it, the game for me. Um, I initially was like, oh, urologists, they're surgeons and they're the male gynecologists want nothing to do with it. Then I met somebody who I could see myself in literally. And I said, wow, oh my God, that's really cool. Black woman urologist. Whoa, that's a unicorn unicorn. And she's a bad. And I want to learn about, I I just, I want to, you know, I think she's dope. Even if I don't go into urology, I want to know this person. And off the top of your head, what the statistics are demographic wise. Oh, um, we rounded around, we are rounded up to 2% black urologists and rounded up to 1% black women urologists. So really, really, really. Yes. Yep. Continue. So, um, yeah. And it was, it was great because urologists tend to, we are like, oh, you're interested in us. Come, come, come. Let me see, show you. We like to show, we like to talk, you know, we're friendly. We're a little bit, you know, we like, we can don't take ourselves too seriously. So, you know, we um, tend to have like, you know, it's not like stuffy yeah. in a room with urologists generally. And I was not used to seeing surgeons like this. My surgery rotation at my program was very, you know, it it, 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 it was on, on the malicious side of things. Okay. And so it was very hierarchical, very, you know, like you could see trickle down. It just, you know, and so that is what I saw. I was like, these people look miserable. They're treating (laughs) everybody else miserably. I mean, this was, I mean, this was one place, right? This doesn't make all surgeons like this by any means, shape or form. I know I have many surgeon friends that are great, fun, social people. So, but then it was different because at the same institution, I went to the urologist and they were like, Oh, it was just not, it was, it was fun to be in the room with them. And so the personalities, you know, made you more, made me more interested in it. And I liked what they did. I was like, oh, this is like, you get to talk to people about like private stuff and it's like um, plumbing, but you know, sophisticated plumbing, Um, the surgeries weren't terribly long for the most part. Um, they, I just liked it. I just liked it. They, they were using new technologies at the time. The robot was like the cool new thing. And urologists were at the forefront of that and using the robot to take out prostates and kidneys and this and that. So that was dope. And they got they, like, me as a medical student, I'm sitting on the rope in the robot console. I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> I get to sit down and do surgery. Oh, and it's 3D. Of course. Okay. Um, sure. yeah. And, um, you know, it pulled me away completely from OB-GYN. I mean, again, the other thing about the OB-GYN is, and again, every experience, I think your experiences shape your perception. Sure. My OB-GYN rotation was also a little on the malicious side. And, I mean, you know, they have they have the reputations yeah. for that. I think yeah, exactly. surgery and OB-GYN in general have those reputations. I don't yes. think necessarily your program. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to lump everybody, but those were, and so like, oh, you know, if I had the choice to hang out with the, be guiding the urologist, the general surgeon. I'm hanging out with the urologist every day, <laughs> every day. So, yeah. Awesome. So I want to definitely talk at length about your specialty and your subspecialty. Before we get there, though, could you talk about experiences that you've had or witnessed either as a medical student, as a resident, or even now as a senior attending dealing with or uh, witnessing racism, discrimination? Oh, yeah. Um. So... Um, you know, there's the comments, like, I remember feeling like exasperated, or I don't even know what the feeling I, the word I'm trying to say, but I just remember feeling maybe tensed when we would see black patients on rounds as in medical school and a little bit an intern and for sure intern year. And it's, you know, these virtually all white teams, except for me. We're seeing a black patient. The way that the per- physician is talking to the patient kind of is condescending. Patients perceiving that, and you know, um, expressing their discontent, and then just hearing then 
on after rounds, we go, you know, we go out typically of the room and go down the hall and we talk about the patient and, you know, all oh, this patient was argumentative and this and that, blah, 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 you know, and just like the same story and feeling like this is something's not right here. I don't know. I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Didn't know how to articulate it. Um, there certainly were little microaggression remarks made during in surgery in the OR. Um, not just towards you, towards the patients. I um both um probably I mean and they were like jokes but looking and I and I probably laughed but looking back they were inappropriate like I remember I remember one something was like you know for a black person you don't have rhythm talking about I don't have rhythm in the OR you know something silly like that or you know so there were things like that um that you kind of in the moment you're like eh, and then you go and then you go back years later and you're like, God, man, that was like, right. you know, that was, it happened every day to some extent, like, you know what I'm saying? So that's the, the microaggression, like the kind of by death by a thousand little needles or whatever. Right. The, the most, but I'll tell y'all the most outlandish experience um, I had during medical school. So this is medical school. I'm, a sub intern so this is on a rotation on a way rotation so uh you it's very common if you're urology um bound if you are interested in urology applying to it that you do an away rotation so i was doing a month array rotation at uh ut southwestern in, da in dallas and let me just stop and say i think ut southwestern urology program is absolutely phenomenal phenomenal absolutely does not this experience does not represent the entire program whatsoever i really actually enjoyed my time there a lot i would have i would have ranked it number one but i wanted to get out of texas I didn't <laughs> but i i truly I'm, i want the viewers to catch that 100 percent um this individual that that i'm about to speak on isn't even faculty there anymore so and hasn't been for years so I'm sub I and I walk into the operating room of a very prestigious uh, pediatric urologist that was there at the time. And it's a big room. It's tons of people. There's, an, I think, one other sub I medical student. There's the resident. There's the fellow because there was a pediatric urology fellow. Mm -hmm. There are obviously the scrub scrub nurse and then like a couple of, you know, uh, OR techs right. and maybe one, I don't know, this was world renowned pediatric urologist. So I'm in there first time. And I think somebody gave me a little bit of warning, like he's really Southern Texan white guy. I was like, okay, is that code for he's racist? You know? Okay. fine. Yeah. So I go in and I, um, I say my name and I'm Nigerian. So my name, and I wasn't married. So my last name is Fama Quinoa. And he's, oh, where's that from? And I'm like, oh, it's Nigerian. That's where I was born proudly. And then he says out loud in the OR for everyone to hear what the heck is wrong with that godforsaken continent Africa. And that was that. <laughs> the OR was dead silent. Silent as this man just accosted me, this grown attending uh, just accosted me verbally. And I'm there trying to mutter out something. I remember thinking, okay, I need to come up with a response, but I need to, I have to remember I'm on trial. Like I have not I'm trying to get into this field and the urology is a small, small, small field. Right. I piss off one important surgeon, one big name person, baby, I would be blacklisted potentially from the entire thing. So I really understood like to pick my pick and choose my battles and I couldn't just respond crazy. Plus I, I would never respond crazy because it's such a hierarchical being, you know, this medical student attending, like I was the last on the totem pole. I didn't even have the balls to try to respond crazy. Right. 
But I try to say something intelligent and explain our natural resources and being, you know, uh, poached and raped from colonialism. And Well, I tried, I muttered something and uh, the, the attending just ignored me and kept going. So that was um, pretty jarring experience. No one said, no one said anything. No one said anything in the room. No one said anything afterwards. It's like it didn't happen. That's and that was that. Yeah, it's really horrible. And I mean, thank you for sharing that. I'm really sorry you had to go through that. But I think you highlighted a really important point that even now I see as a medical student, and unfortunately, it doesn't go away when you're a medical student, it doesn't go away when you're a resident, it doesn't go away when you're a fellow, that you're no. kind of caught in the hierarchy. And it gives you a limited ability to address and speak out on things. And mm -hmm. people have very public backlash on uh, when people do speak out. And I mean, it's unfortunate, but I think it's one of the things that contributes to American healthcare being a broken system. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love to, I would love to like know what everybody was thinking in that room. Yeah. How many people were like, Oh my God, that's so wrong. That's terrible. How could, you know, but didn't feel empowered to say something or maybe just, you know, there's so many reasons I think people don't speak up. I, I didn't expect, I, it's not like I, ex hey, I don't expect the medical student, even the resident, maybe even the fellow to like have said something to him in that OR. I don't actually don't think I expected any of them, you know, and they didn't know me except for the couple of weeks I'd been there. It would have been nice if one person came up to me afterwards and said, I, I just want to let you know, I see you. That's not cool. I'm sorry. Something, you know? Um, but anyway, it didn't listen, y'all. I went through that. It was jarring. I could literally, when I tell you this story, I can put myself back in that OR and in those feelings and in that moment again, like, and I mean, this is, whew, I don't even know how many years it's been, yeah. uh, 2007, I think I did this sub I, yeah late 2007. So you, you all do the math. So anyway, it's, it didn't deter me sure. at all. Sure. It and, did not deter me at all. And what was it that you leaned into? I leaned to the fact that I don't care what the f you said. <laughs> <laughs> I leaned into, I know I'm the shit. Okay. Right. Uh, well, no, I didn't even think I was, but I knew I was like, I don't care what this woman, little this this man thinks. Okay, um, and fortunately, I would say it was easy to do that because the rest of the experience there was not like that. The rest of my interactions with the other attendings and the residents were very cool, very nice. I felt I felt welcomed. This and that, blah blah blah. So it was this person, um, uh this one person that was, you know, and, and I just, I didn't uh, put myself in his OR. I, I think maybe one other time after that. And then I was like, I, <laughs> um, so yeah, it didn't, it, I, it, you know, it's one thing I'm okay. It's not going, it doesn't define me and uh, you're not going to deter me. So. Sure. Okay. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Urology. Let's talk about urogynecology. Mm -hmm. So can you start broadly with urology? What is it? What do you do? And then for you, having done a fellowship in urogynecology, female pelvic reconstructive medicine and surgery, what is that? So urology is a surgery, the specialty by now, you guys know that. It is uh, dealing with the urinary tract, parts of the body that make urine and the male reproductive system. So we are, you know, affectionately considered the male gynecologist, which has some truth. Certainly anything male genitalia, male reproductive, it's urology um, that is called upon um, male sexual dysfunction, all of that. So I um, so that's, you know, uh, that's kind of, I, I suppose, the general urology. Now, within urology, there are several subspecialties. Pediatric urology, um, cancer or urologic oncology. Um, we have something called reconstructive urology, like really bad 
reconstructive cases also kind of goes along with trend at this point now more and more um gender affirming surgery type stuff um there is endourology and stones and so i did uh and there's male sexual dysfunction or male men you know like a men's health urology mm -hmm. i did a female pelvic medicine reconstructive surgery if you guys remember i talked about how the ob appealed to me kind of you know, throughout, uh, throughout medicine. And I was really the guy, not the OB. Um, you know, it's the guy part. It's the woman's health part. Um, and I think I felt drawn upon that because, Hey, I'm a black woman. I feel I could really relate to our issues not really being well addressed and well advocated sure. when I say our I mean women but especially as a black woman I could really like lean sure. into that so um yeah when I discovered oh my god urologists treat vulvas and vaginas and women like and do this like not just oh yeah we can do a little dabble in it like really get in in deep in that um it's a whole fellowship you yeah. do a whole like subspecialty and get become an expert i was like this is my this is it this is my route right here this is what i want this is what i've been thinking sure. but i didn't know it existed until i knew it existed until i found out and so um i and i knew that mo almost certainly even the moment i started urology because um the woman who inspired me to even consider urology that was her subspecialty so oh, i got wow. to see that yeah um that is her subspecialty because she still is practicing and um so i and when i started urology residency i kind of knew if i'm gonna do a fellowship this is a fellowship i'm gonna do there was you know um i didn't have you know i thought that was it and so that's what i did and um i love it because i get to treat all genders <laughs> um and i feel very very comfortable around a penis and very comfortable around a vagina um so and then so that's another really important question that i wanted to bring up i mean so at this point you've been in practice you, you've seen it all looking back and especially for the not so much for the college students but for the med students that are listening that might be set on an end goal of your gynecology can you talk about the difference between getting to it between OB-GYN and- Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so we'll we'll shorten, we'll just kind of refer to both endpoints as urogyne just for simplicity, okay? Sure. Sure. And urogyne is the intersection of urology and gynecology. So a lot of uro pelvic floor conditions that predominantly affect humans with vulvas, vaginas, okay? Think about it like that. Sure. Um, you're the, you can go the guide route, which is where you do a residency in ob which is about four years. Mm -hmm. And then you do a fellowship in urogynecology, which will almost always be three years. Okay. Okay. So seven years mm -hmm. and, um, you will, and urogynes, this is where it gets gray because yeah. some urogynes do urogynes will do a lot of like pelvic floor prolapse. They'll do incontinence, mm -hmm. um, but some get even deeper into your uro to urology and might do you know urethral abnormalities and urethral stuff. Okay, you see what I'm saying. Um, they will never, ever treat a penis. Okay. Never, ever, ever treat a penis. Okay. You're, you do the gyne route with the fellowship to Eurogyne, you will never treat a penis. Okay. Now, urology to, again, we'll call it Eurogyne, but it's actually right now referred to as female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery, FPMRS, Literally, some of these programs are the same, like in the same, right. the same program. So it's 
you know, Eurogyne for simplicity. Right. You do urology first, and then you do this Eurogyne FPMRS fellowship. Mm-hmm. Your urology residency is either five or six years, depending on where you go. Okay. Mine was six. Then your, your this FPMRS slash Eurogyne fellowship is going to be one or two years, right. unless you're crazy and you do a three-year one. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> there's like one or two programs that are three years for everybody regardless of whether urology or not and i uh, i i gotta say i don't know why you would do that <laughs> okay okay no so um you're looking at anywhere between what six in the shortest combination to eight okay that is right right um i um the the fellowship uh is accredited if you do two years and it's unaccredited if you don't do two years. What does accreditation mean? It just means you get you get more letters. It means you take a board, you take another board, not just your urology board, you take your subspecialty board right. and you get more letters. Right. Um, I am fellowship trained. I did a one year because I did six years of residency, y'all. And listen, <laughs> you had one. I, I I needed. I wanted the cases and the volume and surgery, and that's what I got. Right. Um, and so I do everything that you know anybody with extra letters would do. Just I just didn't take that 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 particular subspecialty exam. Right. Um, I you're a fem. Sorry, FPMRS urologist. When you do it that route through urology, guess what? You can treat penises. Yeah. Um, and so my practice treats everything. You know. It's not just women who leak urine, for instance, men can do that too. So I treat that too. Um, So a lot of FPMRS urologists don't just treat women, even though that's kind of in our subspecialty. They're not exclusive to just treating women. Um, And then some of us, again, this is where it gets great because some of us might do hysterectomies. Okay. Might do, some of us include female sexual dysfunction, um, and do that. So there's some grayness. So, um, for patients and for referrals, referring doctors, it can be kind of, uh, like, what do you do? Like, what, what do you do this? Yeah, I get that all the time. Like, but do you deal with that? Oh, okay. Uh, I, do you do pap smears? No, I don't do pap smears. Sorry. Do you do fibroids? No, don't do fibroids. Um, do you treat like a painful sex? Yes. Send me that. Do you, you know, so. Okay. All right. Very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And then we talked a little bit about what drew you to your specialty. What does kind of a typical day in the life look like for you? Um, so I'm either going to the office or the clinic. Um, I do about two days in the operating room and three days in the clinic. In the clinic, I will see um, 20 to 30 patients. And there's going to be in the great thing about urology is we, we are proceduralist, even when we're not in the operating room, right. in the office, we're going to do procedures. There's not one day in the office where I'm not doing at least one procedure. Yeah. Um, so there's office procedures that we can do like cystoscopies, looking in the bladder with the camera, vasectomies, um, bladder biopsies, bladder Botox injection, um, prostate biopsies. Ooh, we're excising this this genital warp, something, I don't know, all sorts of stuff we get to do. So it's kind of nice because we like to work with our hands. And then in the operating room, I'm obviously operating and that's two days a week. Um, And I do a lot of vaginal cases. I do a lot of like incontinence cases. I'll do some prosthetic urology, which is like where you implant devices that help men control their bladder or control their leakage, I should say, or get an erection. I'll do robotic surgery. Um, I'll do stones because kidney stones and those stones, that's part and partial for urology. So do a variety of procedures in the operating room. And um, I share a call and on call, urology is a home call specialty. So we are not in the hospital when you call us. Uh, We're not expected to stay in the hospital. I should stay. I should say we take it from home. We can manage, you know, a number of things from home. There's, there are a few urologic emergencies that you have to like get to the hospital immediately or quickly. And we have to come in for, um, 
So uh, the call lifestyle is hit or miss, but it's not too bad mm -hmm. uh, because we can come home. Right, for sure. And then you're very active on social media. You're very vocal on your platform. Where did that come from? Talk about that a little bit. I, um, I don't, I, so I was on social media, like privately, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I don't remember who the first like doctors I started seeing on social media, but I started to see like oh, a few doctors here and there on social media. I was like, Oh, and I said to myself, Oh, you know what? This is, this will be kind of fun. No one, no one knows what the hell we do. <laughs> other men, other doctors don't know what the heck we do. Like, this will be cool. Like I, you know, want to talk about this. Like people, the world needs to know, like, and you know, I would get the same like misinformation and I was like, I'm about to go off. Okay. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, let me, let me clarify it for people and educate the masses. Sure. And then I also said, and I'm a black woman too. I needs to be out there. It became like this, I, I desire to like, well, I need, I need to do this. Like I need, and not that I think I'm the greatest thing the world has ever met, but that I, I totally hundred percent knew the power of just seeing some, some seeing yourself in somebody. I mean, all it took was this lecture. I didn't even, I didn't even talk to, this attending, this urologist when I was in medical school, this, yeah, I just, it just, and maybe I, I would have never talked to her. I would have still that moment of just seeing that. So would have me. Yes, correct. Correct. Um, so I knew that and I felt obligated to give back in some kind of way, what was given to me. For sure. And you touched on a really good point that I want to go off of what need do you see for an increase in diversity in surgery in general, in your specialty, in your subspecialty, but especially when it comes to women and especially when it comes to women of color? We need to, first of all, we need to appeal to underrepresented groups earlier on, okay? We need to, that's why, again, I love that my page isn't just for medical students. It's like literally for anybody, uh, you know, at any stage. Drop, and the, it, drop the socials while we're talking about it. Okay, yeah. Dr. Millhouse with, yes, Dr. Millhouse with one L on Instagram. Dr. Millhouse with one L. But if you can't remember that, just remember your favorite urologist and you will literally find all my social stuff. If you put in Instagram your favorite urologist, You'll find me. Um, your favorite urologist on TikTok. Your favorite urologist on YouTube. If you um, www.yourfavoriteurologist.com. In fact, that's the home base, and that'll click you to everything that you need to go to. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter. That's the only place that doesn't say your favorite urologist. Actually, okay. <laughs> it's F Millhouse MD. But whatever, you'll find me by then. By the um, all right, continue. But, yeah. I just to get that yeah. So, yeah, we need to be not starting at med students. We need to start at high school students, at medical middle middle school uh students, sure. at young girls, young um black, you know, men and women or boys and girls, young latino boys and girls, young all of that needs to start sooner. Sure. We also have to support them because you're they're going to go through a path where they are going to they will feel inadequate they will probably not have somebody else that's done this before that can guide them they are going to feel the sting of microaggressions and um, imposter syndrome and being kind of, you know, doubted more so than some of their other peers. So uh, not just saying, hey, I inspired you, but I, you know, there's no support. We have to support them. And that is getting better. I, you know, went through whole six years of urology and I don't, I didn't really talk to any other black urology residents that were in the country. Yeah. during that time yeah um fortunately now like we're like a big you know 
uh, he's a bunch, but at the time, like we kind of were just on islands on our own, all each going through our own thing. You know what I'm saying? And so now it doesn't have to be that way. Now you can find help, you know, supports and mentors and tribes that can be like, oh, baby girl, you know what? Or baby, you know, homeboy, like I, I got, you know, I've, I've been there. I know this. I know how this feels. Do this, do that. Give you good tips. Give you good advice. Don't do that. You know, so. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, it's been a phenomenal conversation. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I always like to end the call talking about mentorship. Um, we answered a lot of the questions that I normally ask about mentorship throughout the course of the conversation, but I want to ask what qualities do you think make the best mentees, people that are looking for mentors? Well, mentees, uh, you need to be proactive yep. in that um, your mentor is a busy person. <laughs> yep. Be proactive in outreaching and staying connected to them. Mm-hmm. You need to come with an idea of what you want to gain from this mentorship. What are you hoping to gain? Um, uh, and what, how, and knowing like how, what, what works for you? Sure. You see what I'm saying? Um, and trying to help your mentor know how to give you the best, you know, get the best out of this relationship, if you will. Um, And you need to follow through. You need to follow through. Um, A lot of mentorships kind of die because it's not followed through in some kind of way. You need to follow through. Um, But making that first initial contact, don't be scared. Just do it. Just do it. I agree. Just do it. I think a lot of people are scared to just do. Just do it, man. Just do it. Um, I promise you, it'll end up probably going better for you than you expect most of the time. One hundred percent. And then on the inverse end, mentees looking for mentors, what qualities should they seek out? Yeah, they should seek out a, a mentor that is interested and in obviously <laughs> um, investing in them. Um, and that, you know, feels like they could have the time. I have declined certain, I have kind of been like, oh, I have too many mentees on my plate. I need to, I, I don't want to shortchange you. Um, they should um, look for somebody who's going to, who's in there, somewhat in there where they want to be, you know, whether it's a specialty, whether it's a position, you know, oh, you know, they're big academic, academic researcher, something like what, what is it about this mentor that they can give you about within their, you know, niche or their uh, professional skill? Um, They should, they also don't have to have mentors that look like them. And in fact, chances are you won't. (laughs) Yeah. And in fact, I think I think you should get a mentor that you can relate to like that and a mentor that is not like that. Exactly. I agree. See what I'm saying? So that you know what somebody of a different demographic, you know what I'm saying? That you're getting this different perspective. Um, So yeah, that would be my advice. Not your mentors don't need to look like you. Uh, No, not all of them. You can have more than one mentor. Um, your one mentor probably can't do your all be your have, you know, have your whole agenda and life goals and whatever packaged. So I think it is good to have more than one mentor, um, a mentor for your specialty, a mentor for like, you know, financial goals, a mentor for, um, community outreach goal. I don't know. You see what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. for sure. Thank you. Yeah. I always end on three quick questions. First, regardless of specialty interests, what is one book you think every student interested in medicine should read does not have to be about medicine? Oh, good, because I don't care. <laughs> I don't care for none of them. Uh, oh, you know what? I think every student should read The Caste System. Okay. Why? I think it's called The Caste System. 
because it'll help you understand how structural racism basically is embedded into our society and it will help make you more a more equitable physician um I think every per every it should be like required reading for everybody, like any every American, everybody who, who anybody in our school system. But um, the I think it's called. Hold on, let me just make sure it the is one from Oprah's book club. Cast. Cast is it just called Cast? Cast yeah. the origins of discontents by yes, Isabel. that's exactly correct. Thank you. Cast the origins yeah. of our discontent. Isabel Wilkerson. Yes. Cast. Okay. Perfect. Number two, what is one resource you think all underrepresented pre-med students should access or be familiar with? You're taking me way back, child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm, you can disagree with this, but I think that just from my perception, something that you could recommend is just social media. Cause I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so yes. Social, social media didn't exist when I was pre-med like this. I mean, you literally have a like treasure trove of, potential, you know, people that you can learn from, that you can reach out to, that you can partner with, that you, you see them, it's so like, use it to your advantage, please. It's a, it's a gold mine, in my opinion, sure. use it to your advantage. You can find, and that's not even just individual people. There are, I'm, there's probably a Facebook group right now with your name on it appealing to some, you know, a group that is like, I want to become a doctor, but da, 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 you know, I want this and that black interested students in um, medical school. There is the, and, and again, this might be get, get what you want need out of it. If, if these groups tend to raise your stress level and anxiety, then, then <laughs> yeah. <leave. laughs> yeah. but if it's like, Oh my God, they're like dropping major, um, advice and tips and this and that, which tends to be like, I'm in a Facebook group now um, called Women Docs in Urology, and it is like a brain trust. I mean, I go there and I get some good professional advancement tips, some mad educational stuff. Like I have told a patient one time in clinic, I'm not sure what I'm going to, like, I didn't know what I needed to do with this weird case. It's like, I'm going to post it in this group of really smart women doctors, post it. And then literally before the patient leaves, I already have like answers. I mean, so um, like things like that can really become a a brain trust and uh, valuable. So use it, use that. I would say that. Fantastic. And last, but certainly not least, what advice do you want to leave with underrepresented students pursuing medicine? Um, I would advise you that it is a long road that you are not alone in that even if you feel alone, somebody has been in your shoes and has gone to the other side and um, take one day at a time, take one goal, like one at a time. And to my motto uh, or like what got me through residency was fake it till you make it. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> fake it till you make it. Yes, All right. Sir. I'm I telling you, I, that was my motto. It probably still is. Fake it till Perfect. you make it. Perfect. Fake it till you make it. I mean that. Um, you are just a training. You don't know anything, but you will be the thought leader one day, get into that confidence now. 100%. Thank you, Dr. Milhouse. You're welcome. (laughs) This was was in depth. I feel like I was like my memoir, my memoirs, I just like (laughs) on audio. (laughs) Absolutely phenomenal. The conversation has been great. I I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. You're a gem. And within the field of urology, we need more people like you. So and medicine in general. So thank you so much. I mean, I appreciate you giving your time and just sharing with everybody your story. It was a pleasure, Justin. I love what you have here. Keep it up. Keep it. Keep it going. You are um, valuable in what you're doing here, and I wish you 
all the success. I know, I already know it's coming. So I know I'm gonna see you doing some big things in the future. I'm just gonna be smiling like a, like a proud auntie. So. So in conclusion, thank you, thank you, thank you. In conclusion, yeah. is there anything that you wanna say? Uh, go follow me. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. If you didn't hear it, rewind. Not. Nah, can you drop one more time just the Instagram and then the website? Yes. And everybody else can go for everything else. You need to follow all these at Dr. Milhouse with mm -hmm. M I L H O U S E on Instagram. You should go to my website and subscribe www.yourfavoriteurologist.com. I'm on YouTube, Your Favorite Urologist subscribe to that too and if you just really want to see me acting stupid and silly go to tiktok <laughs> favorite urologist perfect. perfect perfect thank you so much with well, that this episode of the med mentor podcast until next time remember to keep inspiring by example take care y'all